Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm your host, Deb Philman. At The Reason We Learn, we aspire to be part of the solution. The purpose of this show is to take a good, honest, potentially painful look at the way kids are being educated. We know we can do better, and this is where we'll talk about how. Let's learn something. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to The Reason We Learn. I'm your host, Deb Philman. Thank you so much for joining me today for a conversation with Josh Dawes. He is um, a podcaster in his own right, so this is going to be interesting for me, speaking to somebody who's super experienced at this. And if it's your first time here, I would ask you to please consider subscribing to the channel so you can be notified when I make more content like this. And also like and share this broadcast out so we can get more people involved in conversing with us in the chat, asking questions and so forth. The goal of this channel is to be a meeting place, a sort of town hall where we can discuss these topics, if not during the show, then certainly after in the comments on the replay. And if you're here because you want to improve education or you are thinking of possibly leaving the system, you're in the right place. This is a place where diversity of thought is not just welcomed, it is championed. So welcome. Josh Dawes is, as I said, a podcaster. His podcast is The Great Awakening, where he talks about cultural, he gets involved in cultural analysis and with a Christian perspective, talking about how woke is invading Christianity. And he himself is a homeschooler. In He lives with his wife and children in Georgia, and he homeschools. So we're going to be talking about both those things today. So let's welcome Josh to the show. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Thanks for, for joining us today. So, Great Awakening, when did you decide, or like, when and how did you decide, I'm going to be a podcaster, and it's all the Great Awakening? You know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't really my aspiration. I was, um, you know, we previously lived in uh, Los Angeles for about seven and a half years, and so I've, I feel like my wife and I kind of got a sneak preview of a lot of the woke ideology that was kind of coming down the pike. And uh, really, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's shocking. I know. Yeah. But uh, so we saw, you know, it really started to show up um, after a lot of the, um, you know, police incidents, um, Black Lives Matter stuff. Uh, oh, really, sure. these ideas started showing up in the churches we were involved with. And we saw a lot of our friends kind of become interested in social justice and really just kind of watched, you know, their lives kind of start to go down a, a certain trajectory that ended up, you know, with many of them deconstructing their faith and determining that it was a, a, you know, a racist, white supremacist, you know, faith and leaving the faith altogether. And, you know, we eventually moved back to Georgia. Um, and then in like 2017, started seeing a lot of these ideas show up in churches in this area of the country. Mm -hmm. And I just, uh, you know, having done research and kind of followed a lot of these ideas back to critical race theory and discovering that and what that was all about, really um, just felt a need to kind of start waving the red flag and saying, oh, hold up. <laughs> these are not yeah, good ideas. Exactly. And it, we're, when you saw people adapting these ideas, do you feel like they understood there was an agenda underneath them or do you feel like they were what you might call sort of bandwagoners you know like i i mean what was your take on it initially how do you yeah, it today? i definitely I, I don't think i don't think many people 
recognize the agenda um, behind it, or if they do recognize some sort of agenda, they think that it can be compartmentalized, like that you can kind of eat the meat and spit out the bones. And, you know, that, that, you know, as my friend Neil Shinvey says, that doesn't work if the meat is poisoned. And these ideologies are poisoned through and through. And, um, you know, uh, people, it sounds nice. It sounds, you know, consider it sounds, you know, you know, we want racial reconciliation. We want, you know, to kind of right the wrongs of the past that may right. still be, you know, lingering in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, it, it's a Trojan horse for really destructive ideas that just divide every institution right. they, they get into. Exactly. Can you explain what you mean by deconstructing their faith? I'm not sure everybody, even I kind of have questions about that. I sort of have an inkling, but if you could help us out with that, I would appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, that's become, um, it's become kind of a growing trend among, um, you know, I think they're called ex-evangelicals, people that used to be evangelicals kind of left the faith. It, it mm-hmm. begins just this kind of pulling uh, the threads of your faith and like, um, you know, it may start with, well, look at your bookshelf. Does your bookshelf, is it all white authors? Then you need to, you know, you need to diversify your bookshelf and listen to authors from different perspectives because right, right. you're only getting one perspective. And it's just this idea, um, just like, you know, we're seeing in, they do through American history of like, you know, the perspective that you're getting, the the teaching that you are, you know, receiving is a tool of oppression that is, um, you know, not the whole truth. And you need to listen to the lived experience of, you know, people from, uh, you know, oppressed classes. And uh, it's it's just a thread that, you know, you pull it and the whole, it's, you know, the whole thing tumbles down. Right. It it seems to me like from, you know, what I remember going to church and, and being involved that, it would be difficult to reconcile the sort of new, like the, the elements of wokeism or whatever you want to call it, that are themselves articles of faith. It feels like you're almost having to adopt a new, a new holy and a new set of um, like a new dogma almost Yeah, because a lot of the things they say are beliefs rather than facts and so I don't know, to me, it would seem like that would be a conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I named my podcast, uh, The Great Awakening, because it, it really is a new uh, kind of secular religion that that is has all the elements of Christianity. You, you know, it's got original sin in your white privilege. It's got, you know, your um, you have to do acts of atonement. It's got everything but forgiveness, really. <laughs> You know, yeah, there's uh, there's no uh, yeah, there's no forgiveness and there's no um, what's the word uh, um, starts with an R, you know, uh, where, where you you fix yourself basically. So not just yeah, forgiveness repentance. for other people. Yeah, repentance and but also um, um, I'll think of it. I uh, this is ever since I had COVID, I have this kind of problem accessing words that I know I know, <laughs> and it's it's a real struggle. But I'll come up with it. But it's uh, you know it's like that. It's more you sort of, um, you said atonement and all these kinds of things where it just you're never done. In that mm-hmm. respect, it feels more culty. Yeah. Than yeah, like a, a religion. 
especially when paired with the gender ideology. Um, you know, I had, you know, the biggest success, you know, I had on Twitter was when I kind of pieced together how the critical race theory pairs so well with the, the gender ideology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the, the, the critical race theory and those ideas tend to tear someone down. You know, this yeah. is, you're bad. You're, you have this problem. But then the gender uh, ideology offers a form of salvation. You know, you can it, go through, you know, step into this new identity. You put off the old, you step into the new. It's it's just like conversion. And and suddenly you are a celebrated, you know, minority oppressed Like class. a baptism. Yeah, really. And and of course, there's sacrifice too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you'll hear a lot like do the work allyship, things like that. So instead of discipleship, we have allyship, which adds that element of war, which yeah. is extra creepy. Um, so when you talk to people about these things or you approach people, I mean, were you approaching people in person or were you just doing the podcast? I initially um, just started talking to people in my church. Uh, we were attending one church where uh, the pastor um, this was briefly, we weren't there a long time, but the pastor did a series on racial reconciliation, actually had all of the white people stand up and applaud, uh, to signify our repentance for slavery and Jim Crow and, and all of this. And it was, uh, we weren't, <laughs> we weren't there, uh, too much longer, but, you know, I just began talking, you know, conversations with people in the, the, the churches that we, we've been a part of. And, um, you know, I, at first, I was thinking, well, there's better voices out there that are doing it. Neil Shinvey is, is doing great work, um, kind of covering this this problem in, in churches. And I would share his stuff with people and they'd be like, man, I, I don't know if I, I'm getting this. It's way over my head. And, and so I found that I kind of have a knack for taking these ideas and kind of explaining it to the, you know, the regular person in the pew. And uh, my wife kept pushing me to you know, do a podcast to, to talk about this and finally listened to her last year and started the podcast and it's been going really well. That's great. That's great. Yeah. People really need, um, education in this area. And I've, you know, said as many people who can do it, you know, they're obviously different, um, you know, people respond to different voices, but also I think people need to hear things repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So there's no one way to expose this stuff. It's just, they might hit, you know, like the right, the right person, they hear the right person, you know, for some people, it's James Lindsay, some people, it's Chris Rufo, some people, it's you, for some people, it's me or a combination of all of us or whatever. And, or they start hearing things again and again, and they put it together. Now I've heard it said at this point, all the information floating around about all of this is propaganda, including the stuff that we're putting out by its definition, other by the definition of propaganda and that these are our opinions. Um, and I, I, I hear that, but at the same time, I feel like, tell me if you agree that if you're saying, please go prove me wrong. If you're saying, please read these books and decide for yourself, or please actually take a look at the source material. Then what I may do, my analysis might classify as propaganda, right? Cause it's mm -hmm. analysis, but I don't hear that from the woke. No. I don't no. hear, please prove me wrong. Right. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fact, the very fact that you disagree is evidence 
of your complicity in the systems of oppression. So, yeah, it's, I think, um, you know, like anything, there's going to be analysis. It, it, no one is completely unbiased. Um, but yeah, check it out. You know, look James for yourself. Lin yeah. James yeah. Lindsay is great about sharing all of his, his sources and the papers he's going through. Um, you know, his groomers school series was incredibly eye opening. And, um, you know, he, he just is going through their own literature. So. Right. Exactly. Now that sort of brings me to another topic. When you began, you mentioned George Floyd, you mentioned CRT and things like that. And I think the entire, uh, realization that this is going on and it's been going on for decades. So we, we know that, but for the general population, the average lay person who was not deeply involved in academia or whatever, and didn't see it, um, their first realization was the CRT stuff, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of like where they first start seeing like, why are you telling the white kids what? But then as we've learned and dug into it and dug into it, we start seeing like, oh, and then there's the gender ideology. And, oh, wait, social emotional learning. Oh, wait, ESG. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. You know, it's like we keep digging and finding layers upon layers upon layers. Did you find that people were more or less resistant to messages about different components of woke stuff. Like I've noticed when I was talking to people about CRT, they tuned me out. Mm -hmm. They said, well, maybe you're just a racist or maybe you're just, you know, you're just uncomfortable because reasons, you know, the, what they usually say. But when we moved on to the next topic, well, they're telling your child what they're telling your child. Yeah. Suddenly people got a little more animated. Yeah. Yeah, so did you find well. the same experience? Yeah, yeah, especially the in the um, the Christian community. Uh, you know, we go to a Southern Baptist church, so there's that sensitivity because the whole denomination was started out of you know the Civil War, and you know <laughs> we were the South, and um, so there's that kind of lingering cloud overhanging the whole denomination. So we're really right. sensitive to that. So any criticism of critical race theory is met with some suspicion and trepidation. Um, but when it comes to the gender ideology stuff, that is definitely much more alarming um, because it, there's not that history of oppression with it. It just seems like it came out of nowhere. Like just all of a sudden we, we don't know what a, a woman is. And I think a lot of people that was kind of their, you know, maybe red pill moment where they're just like, what is happening? I need someone to help me explain, you know, what we're seeing. Right. Right. And do you also help them see the connections between like that? They're not really as separate as people might think. It's not like you said, like, I'll eat the meat and spit out the bones. Like, well, I want my, you know, I'm going to yeah. have the, uh, the critical theory, but hold the critical race there. <laughs> right. like... Yeah. I think it's, that's where it's it's so important to understand uh, the root of it, the, the critical theory and how it works so that you can demonstrate, you know, when someone's concerned about the gender ideology, you can break it down and like, OK, well, this is the oppressor and oppressed and the critical consciousness and, you know, heteronormativity and all of these concepts within that. And then how they parallel to the same, you know, ideas in critical race theory. And you get begin to see how it's this like big package of, you know, it, it's it's really neo-Marxism applied along several different, you know, categories of identification. 
Right. How do you handle the, what would Jesus do people? Like, so in other words, the people who were, are bought into the, but what's wrong with accepting people? What's wrong with loving people? And especially where children are involved, this is what I notice. And I, this is why I think that Mott and Bailey is, you know, that is so obvious to me that I say, you know, do you want children to commit suicide? Do you hate children? How could you look at a little child and hate them because of who they are? Like they'll, they'll attach this identity to like a pre-rational child. You know, yeah. They're like four and, or even two, or sometimes I forget, even if they're 10 or 12, it doesn't, they're still pre-rational in the terms of making these kinds of permanent decisions. And they'll say, but how could you be against, you know, it's a straw argument, but still, yeah. what would Jesus do? Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. I, my answer has been, and I'm not a Christian. God doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. And that's, that's it. it you, you know, for Christians, it's rooted in that Imago day and we're all made in the image of God. He makes us male and female. It's his, you know, Genesis beginning, uh, you know, theology. It's, it's that, and, but I understand, um, you know, the, the impulse we want to love. And that's where I think the, the detransitioner stories are so powerful just to show that th this is not loving. And, and I, I, that's where I think this, this too, uh, at least for me personally has really upped the urgency of getting this message out is seeing the damage that people are being, you know, sucked into this cult and doing these things uh, to their bodies being promised that, you know, all that awkward adolescent stuff you're feeling is going to go away. You know, when you get on these hormones, when you, you know, have the surgery and it's, you know, it's the farthest thing uh, from loving to just sit idly by and let people make these decisions that they will regret. Um, and I think that there's for a long time uh, in the Christian world, there has been this, um, especially the conservative Christian world, there's been this idea that we, um, you know, maybe in the past, the, the Christian, the church has not been loving to the LGBT community, the gay community. Um, and so we, we want to go overboard in showing love and being accepting in, you know, you, maybe not, you know, you, you know, conservative churches we're not going to change our theology on that but we are, we want to go overboard to show that we love you you know jesus loves you and i think we've so leaned into that that we can't separate um we can't separate the the people from the agenda mm -hmm. and so we think that we that that opposing this agenda is somehow not loving to that community mm -hmm. and and what I'm trying to help people understand is that, you know, that, um, that could be, and it's not all of them. That's the thing that, you know, is, it's not all gay people. This is a very specific activist group that has an agenda, but that agenda is targeting the least of these that we're supposed to be defending as Christians. And so I'm trying to help people see that distinction that we can love our enemies Love the people pushing this agenda while opposing it and, you know, trying to stop them from grabbing a, a new generation of, of converts to their right. religion. Yeah, I think that's, you know, and 
the challenge is they redefine words on the fly, like the word hate. Mm-hmm. And the word hate is a, is a very powerful word. I mean, it's the kind of word that, I mean, I was brought up to think, you know, you, you really, you really shouldn't hate and for a wide variety of reasons, you know, not least of which is it's a lot of your own energy devoted to something incredibly destructive. Like, why would you do that? So there's no, there's no constructive purpose to it. Um, be indifferent if you must, but like hate doesn't serve a purpose. So when I read or I hear things like, you know, XYZ opinion equals hate speech or equals hate, you know, uh, when I was at Moms for Liberty, for example, and they were protesting, they said we were moms for hate. Um, and, you know, that they replaced the word liberty with hate, which is really kind of scary. But that's another one of those things, those tricks, those rhetorical flourishes that if I, if I use the word hate in place of the idea you're espousing. So you just mentioned agenda. So instead of saying, you know, you represent the opposite of my agenda or you don't want children to be converted in this way. Okay. They just replace it with the word hate. Right. Knowing kind of like racism, knowing there's such a negative connotation. Now tell me if you agree with this. Because of that, I feel like that's proof that we are an incredibly loving, caring, tolerant nation. Yeah. <laughs> like, why would we care? Yeah. And that's what's scary is that the more, I mean, we've seen this with some bad element, elements on the right, that the more you dumb down these words, the more like, okay, fine. Yeah, I hate you. You know, it's it's not good to remove the power from these words because they do have meaning. And, you know, we are, I think, by and large, this is, you know, we don't have to get into whether or not this is a Christian country debate, but this is our, you know, our nation has been heavily informed by Christian values. And it is uh, a loving, just the fact that we, you know, are, are trying to better, you know, the this is, you know, racism and, and root out that stuff and change. Um, and we're sensitive to it. That is, you know, shows the character of the nation. And, you know, I, I think that sensitivity, uh, that, that empathy we have for others is being weaponized um, to neutralize any opposition to, to their agenda. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so I think it's great what you're doing and I, I hope it continues to be successful because we need, um, all the, the enlightenment types of ideas. And I would put Judeo-Christian thought thinking and thought, you know, whatever, again, whether you're a believer or not, I don't think it really matters because it is pretty clear, even in theology that there is a separation, like you don't govern the people by the faith. And I know that in the past that was, you know, not the case, but certainly in the United States, we were founded on a principle of religious liberty. That means the freedom to not believe too, right? You know, mm-hmm. so they, they, that liberty to believe, to not believe, to believe from this church, this synagogue, this, mo- whatever it is, um, is kind of fundamental, but it comes from this idea, as, as I was taught, that you get those rights from your maker. Now, whatever you believe that to be right nature and, you know, God and nature and um, uh, nature and nature's God. And, mm-hmm. you know, so again, whether you believe it's a deity or whether you just believe it's nature, the universe, whatever, that the rights come from there. 
And we're the only country that I'm aware of that has that conception of liberty. And so I think it's really important that anybody who lives in that kind of worldview, like I said, and I would consider Christians to, to do that, Jews as well, mm -hmm. um, that, that they go to bat for these ideas. It's not enough to be against, right? Yeah. Right, Josh? It's, it, we could be against all day long, but if we don't represent the good, the, the better idea and explain what it means, I think the people, like you said, who are sort of, they mean well, but they're low info, you know, they're coming mm -hmm. at it with this. Um, they don't have anything to hold on to. Yeah. So I think what you're doing is, is really good. And, and, and I wish you all the luck in the world on that because I think it's necessary. And I wanted to talk about your homeschooling because I would imagine you chose to homeschool for a wide variety of reasons, but why don't you tell us about that? Tell us about what brought you to homeschooling as a method of educating your kids and so forth. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in the eighties. Uh, I went to, uh, elementary, elementary years. I was in uh, private Christian school, middle school years. I was at public, uh, yeah, public school. And then the last three years of high school, I was homeschooled. So I, I grew up, uh, with experience in, in all three. Um, when my wife and I got married and started talking schooling, uh, it was, hard pass on homeschooling from her. And so we kind of just tabled that. And then uh, we lived in Los Angeles when it was time for our kids to start school. And there was no way in heck we were sending our kids to public school there. So we made lifestyle choices to get them into a private Christian school there. And when we moved back to Georgia, we put them in a, a Christian school here. Uh, but we always kind of had it in the back of our mind. Maybe we might, you know, it, you know, I, I joked with my wife at, you know, all the time. It'd be, it'd be great if there was a way to try homeschool on a trial basis. And then COVID happened. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> so I think that there was my is. fault. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But um, so we did that. And, you know, it was hard, like everyone else. <laughs> it was an yeah. adjustment. But um, within the first month, we really started to see some big changes in our kids. Um, you know, my oldest, um, I think he was sixth, fifth grade, sixth, I don't know, uh, fifth or sixth grade when we started. And he, uh, he's not a very dominant kid. So he was kind of, wasn't picked on, but he was, you know, lower on the social hierarchy. And he would come home and want to exert that dominance on his little brothers. And so oh, we just had the worst fights, you know, every day after school. And it was awful. Yeah. But about a month into this, he those defenses, that dominance kind of settled down and they became fast friends. And it was it was cool to see their relationship growing tight. And now they they're just each other's best friends. And it's been great. So we we decided to uh, we finished that, you know, half year of homeschooling and decided let's let's do one more year and see how it goes. And Right. chose a, a curriculum with um it was very literature based and kids fell in love with reading and it you know it's it's been a really good um you know just educational choice for our family and now your wife is, is on board and she's she's like this is a good idea actually yeah <laughs> right yeah okay. and we've learned things each year you know the first year we were you know five days at home we had uh you know would do like you know co-op activities and stuff 
but we realized we really need that <laughs> recharge, uh, some recharge time. And so we've, the last year we found a, a co-op that's very arts uh, focused. And uh, so our kids are there two days uh, or a hybrid. Our kids are there two days a week and then they're home the other three days. And that gives us like the good, a good balance of recharge time. And it's been uh, fun good. for them. That's good. And so speaking of co-ops and one of the reasons I asked you here is that I have an audience of, you know, quite a few people whose kids are in public school and they're like, ah, you know, but I have a growing audience of people who are saying, you know what, I'm trying to mentally, you know, get myself ready for the, for the prospect of leaving the public schools or I'd, I'd like to leave, but, and there's like this big, but looming and they have all kinds of things they're checking off the boxes. And one of them is the uh, perception, rightly or wrongly. I mean, it's it's a little bit correct. In other words, statistically, it's probably true that there are a high percentage of homeschoolers in any given state who are homeschooling from a Christian worldview, whatever that means to them and their family. So mm -hmm. there are a variety of ways that that translates, okay, from using like apologia in your science curriculum to going to a co-op where people actually do Bible study and they go, you know, they do things that include religion, like in the activity, all the way to, um, you know, they just are Christian and pretty much all their friends are from their church, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, and then if, and then the movie came out, Kirk Cameron's movie came out about the great homeschool awakening and I went to see it. And I admit I, as a secular homeschooler, I was a little disappointed because I felt like he really reinforced that mindset. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much that he reinforced the fact that a lot of homeschoolers are homeschooling from a Christian worldview. It's that he made it seem like that, you know, you have to stay away almost from anything secular, mm. including the people. Yeah. And so I started thinking about it and I said, and so the when these people come to me and they say, but I'm, I'm a secular homeschooler and I want to join co-ops and I want to join clubs and I want to get out there in the, in the groups and a lot of them are Christian groups and a lot of them this and I don't feel welcome. And, and mind you, in many cases, they haven't tried. Like, it's not like they wrote there and said, hi, we're secular. And, and I've done that in the past and people have been honest and they said, well, you probably wouldn't like it because we are doing X, Y, Z that is absolutely 100% Christian. So they're very mm -hmm. honest about it. Other times they're just saying, oh, we just call ourselves the, you know, the Christian such such group, but we got people from all walks of life in here. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so you yeah. have to at least try, but they're because they're public school people. In other words, it's not like the kids in kindergarten, they say, I've always gone to homeschool and I'm going to, they are feeling that sense of, I don't know. Yeah. So I've been trying to figure out how to respond because, well, what would you, just off the, off the top of your head, what would you say to people that are in my shoes, but not literally me? <laughs> like, I know, I, I know what I would do, but I'm just curious what you would say to other people. Yeah. You know, I think there, there is, um, I'm sure there's so many different options and flavors of homeschooling and different types of co-ops. No doubt that you could find some that are not going to be terribly welcoming to a secular uh, family. But as a Christian, we've tried different options and there are <laughs> several different, you know, uh, groups that were not a good fit for us. You know, I, I any, I think there's going to be, um, 
it's going to be uh, require you to kind of put yourself out there. And I will say that there is, um, there are a lot of Christians that one of the reasons that they are hesitant to homeschool is because they don't want to just um, be around Christians all the time. They want to be in the world. They want to be, you know, building relationships with people who are outside the faith. And, you know, I think that's an opportunity for, um, you know, new organizations that are very um, give, you know, provide that community that allows, um, you know, for those kind of interactions. I think there, you know, I, there's, there's certainly, um, I know I, my wife does most of the, you know, social calendar stuff. Uh, I'm kind of just here when they're stuck on math, but uh, <laughs> she'd be a better one to ask about this. But I, I know she's been to uh, some events where it was uh, it was a very diverse group of people from different um, mm -hmm. beliefs. And, you know, so it is out there. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't find it, but you may have to try a few things. And that's that's one of the things I tell people about homeschooling in general. You're not going to have it figured out, you know, your mm -hmm. first year. You're going to find what works. You're going to find which groups are a good fit for your family. And, you know, it's going to look different uh, each year. Right. And you might need to make something of your own too, which yeah. is, I mean, it's a tough for people who've had the like, you know, set it and forget it kind of yeah. mindset of school. Like I dropped you off. I'm good. You know, I'm done. I just have to monitor the homework. It's, it's a tough pill to swallow that like, nope, you're now the administrator. You're the principal. You're the, you know, whatever it is you are. You're not so much the teacher all the time. That's the mistake they make is thinking they have to teach all the subjects, mm -hmm. but you are kind of the principal of the school. <laughs> yeah. You do have to arrange all that school field trips and everything. Um, what about in terms of the woke component? I've noticed this, that just as it, it's, it's a mistake to assume that everyone homeschooling Christian or otherwise, is not woke. Yeah. That has been an interesting awakening, you know, trying to join in groups and do things. And you come to find out like you're the only family in there, especially in the secular groups. So that's why I meet secular people say, I want to go join the Christian group. Not because, <laughs> <laughs> not because they're Christian, but because they have the greater chance they're not woke. Like that's literally what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, I would. I wish that were uh, that were iron law. Um, and but it's not. Yeah, and I've told them, not. like, don't be so sure. It's not yeah. so true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, again, because it sounds so good, you know, it is, um, you know, it's always, uh, it's always finding receptive, um, you know, audience for that, uh, for these ideas. And, you know, and it almost you have to be a, a bit more uh, vigilant um, because it's coming in from other parents um, in homeschooling. And so when a new family joins, you don't know what <laughs> ideas they're bringing with them. Right. Exactly. You know, the kid innocently is saying a bunch of stuff and it's like, what are they talking about at home? Right. Um, but it, it's sort of those, ex that exception that proves the rule, right. That, that homeschooling isn't a thing. It's not a thing. It's yeah. it's what you and your family make of it and cobble together to make out of it with other families. There, there are probably no two that are exactly alike just because of that, which is one of its uh, greatest draws, I think, 
that there's not a one size fits all solution and you can iterate, you know, like you can change, you know, halfway yeah. through a month if you want to, if it's not working, you can make a change. You're not bound. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also what makes it so intimidating for people. Yeah, that's true. And I, you know, I, I, I my encouragement there would just be like, just rip the bandaid and, and do it. <laughs> it, it yeah. Your kids are going to be fine. You yeah. know, try what works. And, you know, if, if you're concerned about what you're seeing at your, your public school or even your, you know, private school, um, you know, it might be a great opportunity for you and, and try it out. Yeah, that's true. Do you think there are avenues for secular families and Christian families to find some kind of a, a common cause, not just in the homeschooling world, but in what you're doing, like the fight, you know, fighting woke ideas. I feel like, and I've felt this way for a while because there is a fair amount of overlap. In other words, the people who are, and I felt it at Moms for Liberty. I've felt it in other avenue, in other places that if you are really deeply against what's going on, or rather you really want to save liberty, you really want to save these enlightenment values. Um, that's a common thread that, that, you know, it cuts across those groups, you know, like you don't, it, it's not all in one or the other. And I just think when you're trying to operate to defend something separately, it doesn't work as well. Yeah. As if you could sort of find that common ground join forces and better explain it because what I've also noticed is that there, well, first of all, I think the left is just better at that. When you make yeah. something sound really good and fluffy and wonderful, you, you automatically reach people all over the place because doesn't everyone want to feel good? Mm -hmm. Isn't any, I mean, when I say feel good, I don't mean like in the sensual way. I mean, feel like I'm a good person. Yeah. I've just outsourced my morality to this stuff, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they have an edge. It's harder to explain real virtue, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely uh, opportunities for um, a joint project. There's there's a organization here in Atlanta. I don't know if it's Christian only, but it's, uh, it's called Teen Pack, and it's... Um, I mean, they had it back when I was homeschooling and it's still going strong. They take kids down to the Capitol uh, here in Atlanta and they mm -hmm. teach them the principles of limited government and, you know, uh, liberty and defending and how the legislature works and how to, you know, volunteer on a political campaign. And I, I think like opportunities like that serve as a as a way of kind of uh, bringing you know, the different people that are concerned about these issues together mm -hmm. in, you know, in a, a form of this is actual education for your kids to go through, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of serves, uh, can serve both, um, both purposes. I think there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, doing a logic class, that's not a, yeah. you know, a Christian thing, but that, that's a, that's something we all need to be able to spot the fallacies in these yeah. ideas and, you know, I think that there's plenty of opportunity to kind of join forces. We just need people to kind of lead the way and plan right. things. I was also thinking more tactically that churches that have buildings and campuses and things like that, um, during the week, very often, they have spaces that sit empty. Mm -hmm. They have 
classrooms, they have conference rooms, they have meeting spaces, et cetera. And one of the things that parents say to me all the time who are looking to homeschool is they're saying, I, I literally have to go to work or I'm a single parent or, you know, whatever. But I mean, I can pick out a curriculum for my child. I can pick out what I want them to do, but I need them someplace where they're safe and they can be cared for. Not specific, not for child care. They're too old for that. You know, they're mm -hmm. eight or 10 or whatever. They don't need somebody to wipe their nose and stuff, but they do need to be in a place for a few hours where they can do their work. There might be an adult there and so forth. And so obviously I've suggested things like private education associations, set one up, um, find your neighbor, you know, whatever. Sometimes they'll say, well, I'm new in town or I don't know that many people or whatever. One thing that churches do have is they have fellowship that's a community. Mm -hmm. But if you're not a religious person and you don't belong to one, it's hard to participate in that community and say, hi, is there a way we could put together a group to use your church basement? So what I was thinking is maybe that's another way that there can be like joint efforts where yeah. you have local groups that say like, we have a group of families and a group of kids, four or five kids, whatever. And we just want to put our heads together and come up with a way to have them safe and where they can do their homeschooling or they do their work and you get your space used for like, you know, you get a little donation or something, you know, whatever. But I'm just trying to think of ways to like be creative and have it be almost like a little underground railroad of education. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, where, because I do feel like it is, it, it you know, preserving liberty in this way is doing something that is just good works. You know, I mean, yeah. I think it's a, it's important. I, I, I love that. I think that's a great idea. Uh, yeah. I think the hurdle you're going to run into is anything that smacks of political right now. Churches are kind of terrified of being hit with the Christian nationalism. Mm. uh label and there's a big push to kind of dissuade any sort of political um action um, except for the churches that are hardcore woke and basically telling you to go vote you know yep. a <laughs> i've noticed that how yeah. that doesn't really work both ways yeah yeah exactly so the Marxist so, church you know and yep. not the yeah I, I got that um but what if it were not you know if you didn't say anything about you know like woke stuff i mean if it was just we have space you need space yeah i think I mean, it's a great i don't know i was just trying to think of something where um people could put could at least like if i wanted to start i'll give you an example i was thinking to myself i would love to teach reading to little kids like the real littles mm -hmm. and i have a i have a program that i like to use whatever and i think it would be great um but I don't have a space. Like I'm not literally allowed in, you know, in North Carolina, for example, to teach more than a certain number of kids in my, in my home. And, you know, like I, that would be considered like a school. Whereas if a church was saying, you know, like, Oh, we're having a meeting of the reading club. Yeah. on you know, Tuesday mornings or something like that. And we're going to have this person here to do some read aloud and reading instruction and parents who want to come, it's, you know, 10 bucks or whatever. Um, and yeah. people like me, I could do it as a volunteer. I could yeah. do it for like that nominal little fee. And then I give you guys 20% or, you know, whatever. Like, so people could come up with these like creative options, but, and it's not political at all. And you kind of fly under the radar. Like the government can't really, what, what are they stopping that as? Right. The church wasn't allowed to have a club. Right. They couldn't take donations. Like how, how do you stop that? Yeah. I, I love that. I, uh, we had something similar our first year of homeschooling 
there was a church that opened up its building one day a week and just different parents would come in and teach, um, you know, one thing for a semester. And, um, you know, you kind of, it was a la carte, which uh, lessons you want. And I don't, I don't think it was in any way um, restricted to Christians. I think it was a yeah broad. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's, there's definitely, I, 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 I would just love for more churches to kind of get on board with kind of providing that and recognizing that it's, it's tough out there in the public schools and, you know, parents would love to pull them out if they felt like they had a support system. Right. Um, and I think churches can start stepping up and um, providing that. Right. And I think if they were to, you know, offer the space or put it out in like Nextdoor or Facebook or something like our space is available for, you know, small mm-hmm. education clubs and groups, book clubs, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. And you could even say part of our mission is education. I know a lot of the black churches are doing this and I've talked to some people. Um, I talked to a guy in Los Angeles, in fact, who's, you know, got a math program and um, he pushed his church to do it because he said, you know, our, we're supposed to be about education also. It's part of our mission. Mm-hmm. So what exactly are we doing in any kind of organized way? And he, cre- they created this amazing program and now it's, it's really taken off to where, I mean, there are kids who are, what they're getting out of that program is replacing high school math because they're yeah. not getting what they need. So, you know, things like that, I think would be ways to join forces. Like you said, the people who participate in these programs don't have to be members of the church, but then the church is pursuing its mission in the community. Um, and the people feel happy giving donations or, you know, they're happy like giving like what they can and they don't feel like they're putting money in the plate on Sunday per se. Yeah. Because there's a value for value proposition. I'm getting something out of this, but it's goes down as a, as a donation for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I wonder if another hurdle there would be a lot of churches are very involved in their public school and they, they see it as a, especially in our area where it's not political activity. I know (laughs) (laughs) it is. (laughs) I think they would see that, um, some churches, not all, I think some would see it as like a betrayal of the public school system um, to provide That's that, so... like you're encouraging it. You know what is know. so ironic about that is that the public school, when the public school system came into being, the people who fought it the hardest were Christians and Catholics yeah. because they were absolutely adamant that you know they felt like you are trying to rope our kids into a very specific kind of education that is secular first of all when we were wanting to raise our kids with a christian worldview mm-hmm. and you know for the catholics in particular it was like and you want it to be specifically like protestant and one flavor not yeah. like there's so many denominations it wasn't like right. it was going to be this you know melting pot of denominations and there's documented evidence that was true that that was the reason yeah. that they did it to sort of take all these immigrants coming in and they want it, you know, it was xenophobic and, and a little bit anti-Catholic, not a little, a lot anti-Catholic. Yeah. And so they were so against it. This is tyranny. This is horrible to the point where out in Oregon, you know, they had the little sisters of whatever lawsuit that basically gave us our right to homeschool in perpetuity because um, that case, that decision in the Supreme Court said, yeah, you can't force these people. That's kind of like denying them their their First Amendment rights to educate with their world, you know, with their religion. Yeah. And they had uh, 
And that also made it possible for Christian schools and Catholic schools and things like that to exist. They just had to be, you know, they're not public. Um, so for the for, for religious institutions now to be like, oh, I think it's a betrayal of the public schools. I'm like, what yeah, <laughs> happened? Well, it, I, there's this widespread idea that it is, it's just completely neutral and, you yeah. know, we need to support and it's like, oh, okay. That's a... <laughs> No, that's why you like you might we might want to do a whole show for your listeners on the specifically anti-Christian messages in their critical theories. Yeah, they're explicit. And if you look at like BLM in the classroom, it's hardcore. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not neutral and it's definitely not neutral where Christianity is concerned and increasingly where Judaism is is concerned. They're getting really taking the mask off about that yeah. too yeah and yeah. so i think there's uh there's a sense from a lot of um christians that you know what we see on libs of tiktok is that's out there somewhere that's california portland uh but that's not here our our teacher is a christian and the principal goes to church um and they just they need to be educated on how these you know this social emotional learning program that your administrator brought in that's a trojan horse that's got these other ideas um that are going to be coming soon so i think it's Wait only a matter Stacey of time Abrams. oh please no <laughs> I, well, I agree with you but i mean it's a distinct oh. possibility josh our uh We've actually had um, some friends recently this this upcoming year. They've decided to pull their kids out of public school because our our uh, Gwinnett County uh, school board president she was on libs of TikTok doing like crazy BLM dancing and twerking nice. and stuff. It was, nice. but she's like she's bringing all this stuff in, and so it's only a matter of time before it filters down to your kid's classroom. And you know that's I, that's what I encourage people what is your breaking point? What is the line that once this is introduced, I can't do this anymore because it's, you know, if you had told, you know, yourself, you know, if you've got a a fifth grader and you had told yourself back in, you know, when you were putting little Johnny into um, kindergarten that, you know, in five years, they're going to be teaching him that he can become a girl. Would you have put him into that school at that time? Right. No. Oh. Um, and so, you know, we got to help people see like, right. you've already accepted way more than you ever thought you would. That's how they do it. That frog in the pot thing. Yep. Or, you know, they're teaching your sixth grader about vasectomy using an animated video oh because gosh. that makes sense. Yeah. All the sixth grade boys need to know about vasectomy. Yeah. Some I mean, graphic novels, they're in the libraries, like, oh my gosh, this is no, it's, it's nuts. It, it's nuts. And I, I think it's a good way to put it. Like, what's your breaking point? But also I'm sure you know that these ideas are insidious. So in other words, by the time they're showing the child curriculum materials, it's too late. They've already just like, they've softened us up. Mm-hmm. They've softened the kids up with messages. Like we treat people how they want to be treated here. Yep. And what sounds wrong about that to you? Yep. That's not what we were taught. We treat people how they want to be treated. Well, that opens people. That opens you up to all sorts of abuse. <laughs> like where, yep. where's, where's your boundary? Yeah. It's, you know, tre- you treat people as you would like to be treated. makes a lot more sense. 
um, we teach people how to treat us makes a lot more sense, but we treat people how they want to be treated. Well, my goodness, then they can demand your empathy all day long. Mm-hmm. They can be narcissistic to the nth degree. Yep. Who's What's to stop them? That's the rule. We treat people how they want to be treated. So if their feelings are hurt, it doesn't matter what you intended. It doesn't matter. These ideas are started in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So if you take a six or seven year old and you implant this like easy to remember little not so golden rule in their mind, then by the time they get to whatever grade where they're saying, now you must use these pronouns, or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. you need to do this and you need to do that. Then it's th- there's no distance for the child to have to cross between what mom and dad didn't know they had to teach their child. Because let's mm-hmm. let's remember the kid, the parents didn't know I need to sit my child down and explicitly explain to them where we stand. You think, well, they go to church. We go to Sunday school. Um, they know. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe they yeah. don't. Yeah. You've got to be proactive. If if you're going to keep your kid in, they need to know how to spot it. You need to be. I mean, I they our county. You have to request to go review the curriculum, and you have to like go down to a, a place. Like in the internet age, you can't just pull it up and see the list. You have to actually go to a physical location. Mm-hmm. It's like that's that should you know throw up some red flags, right? <laughs> like what exactly. don't they want us to see? Exactly. And John is asking that you, did you have a guest recently at work to the school where a girl identified as a boy was loud in the boys locker room? Did that occur? I, I did. Yeah. Um, I had a teacher on from Brevard County, Florida, Matt Woodside. Uh, who, oh, I, yeah. I know who Matt is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he was at mom's uh, for Liberty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he, um, yeah, he, it's a very courageous teacher who is standing up and saying, nope, I can't allow this. I can't, um, I can't knowingly put kids in danger just because yep. we don't want to offend uh, this community. And um, yeah, he's a very brave, brave guy. Right. And, and that's, you know, what you just said is important too. Like knowingly put children in danger when we're running into people who say, what danger, what are you talking about? How could you accuse us of that? And it's like, did, wasn't it that that long ago where we kind of knew that if you took a teenage male of the species mm-hmm. and put them in, you know, the female locker room, or if you took a girl, whatever, that when you, you, you put these hormone, you know, raging teenagers in these spaces that you're, you're asking for trouble. Like, why is this some kind of novel concept? They act like, they never heard of it before. Right. What are you well, talking about? The whole idea of childhood innocence is directly targeted by the queer theory. Like it is yeah. considered a, you know, a way of imposing imposing heteronormativity on people and it's oppressive. So we need to tear that down. So that's the that's why they bring in the drag queens. They want to, you know, destigmatize all of that. And it's yeah, it's so insidious. They're saying, though, when they say that between the lines, they are saying that nature and nature's God set up an oppressive system. Think about that. Just think about like at this, that as a statement, like whether you're a believer or not, like that's a that's a heck of a thing to be teaching kids. Yeah. That the way that we were set up biologically, because if you look in the natural world, that's what it is, the males and the females. Yep. That's how that pairs off. Uh, and 
so you're saying that all of this was created to oppress where, and where does it end? Like, is the female, like Matt Walsh, you know, does, is the female chicken oppressed because she lays eggs? Yeah. Does a chicken cry? I mean, this woman was, well, anyway, so I think that's what I meant by, I think the people that you're speaking to, they may miss these subtle subliminal mm -hmm. messages that are buried in there. Like, it sounds nice. Let's be accepting. Like, they're telling you that God made mistakes and that he's oppressive mm -hmm. by well, default. And, and so many parents assume that they're sending their kids off to what they experienced. And so it's kind of this black <laughs> box you're just trusting your kids with for the bulk of their time. Yeah. And I just, it baffles my mind sometimes. Like you would, you would, you wouldn't pick a babysitter that way. That no. just a state assigned babysitter that here we're going out, you know, it's it, it, but then the place where your kids are the bulk of their time, it's just, you trust the state to, you know, they've, they've got it. They're not going to try and well, then anything. Why not just sit them in front of the television for eight hours a day and put on, you know, C-SPAN or, 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 I mean, that's too, or public television, just put them in front of Sesame street and then put them, you know, change the channel and go to CNN and, you know, whatever, like, I mean, you know, if you're going to let other people teach them every single thing they need to know, why is this assumption that, well, they surely, they must know what's right. Right. Um, and that's so interesting to me because especially when you think about people who, or, you know, people of faith. If you trust yourself to teach your child what it means to be alive, like literally like what, what life means, what, what the universe means, like what, you know, the, really a worldview of what it, what it means to be human. Let's face it. I mean, that's basically what religion is, right? Like mm -hmm. this is what your life means and yeah. what you should be living to do and achieve and the, the particulars are individual. You trust yourself to do that. That's big, important. That's, that's huge. I would argue that's more important than math. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then the same person doesn't trust themselves to teach multiplication. Mm -hmm. Like you're teaching your child, like why they're on the planet. <laughs> right. Know? I don't know, but that's always, that's always puzzled me that there will be people saying, no, I don't know enough or I couldn't possibly, or I need this expert. Right. Yeah. And then <laughs> there are some wonderful teachers but there are some teachers that just like with any job, yeah, they hire a joker that is out partying, partying every night and barely, you know, phoning it in, just rotely going through the, the curriculum. So it, yeah. it's not like there's this special class of people that are uniquely situated to educate your child and you're not it, you know, or be in you, government and decide how to spend your money. That's the special yeah. place where the special <laughs> people go. Right. It's like you've already the first five years of the life, you taught them how to do so much. Exactly. It's just the next step. You can do it. Yes, you can do it. And it doesn't mean you can like literally instruct it. But like the good news is it's 2022 and we have other people who can do that. But, you know, um, we have the Internet. We have different things. But so many options. The idea, like you said, that you could if you choose the babysitter, you trust yourself to choose the babysitter, choose the church, choose the pastor, choose the Sunday school, choose all the, these are, you know, the doctor. These are super important things, some of which have life and death power over your child. I think you can manage to choose an English <laughs> curriculum. Yep, I think you can do it. But I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Well, Josh, I'm so glad you came to talk to me. I certainly feel like there's more common ground than people give credit for. 
Oh, absolutely. Maybe you'll take this little, my little church basement idea (laughs) (laughs) and run with it. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I would love it. And I want to encourage everybody to listen to your podcast, The Great Awakening. And where can they find that? Is that only on Apple uh, Podcasts or can they find it on Spotify? Or uh, It's wherever you find podcasts. Uh, I also have okay. a YouTube channel. So I do video. Oh, great. Um, it's mostly what- interviews now. I do some, uh, you know, single, you know, shorter issues, kind of breaking down one specific concept of wokeness to kind of help people understand and it's the same thing as the great awakening uh let's see my youtube channel is just under josh dawes just under josh dawes okay so everybody go to josh dawes on youtube make sure you subscribe to that and make sure you um check out the podcast because i mean this is this is really important especially when you consider the fact that you know a lot of people can go to church and there are some churches where they are pushing the stuff so what I think you're doing is fantastic. And, you know, people are good people. They mean well. They just don't know. They yeah. just don't know. So well, we have to I appreciate, do best to educate. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I'm a big fan of what you're doing as well. So thank you. And Keep. thanks for spending the time. Appreciate it very much. Everybody, don't forget, like, share, subscribe, not just here, but over at Josh Dawes and at The Great Awakening. And we will see you next time. All right. So have a great afternoon.